0: Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Rev. Dale Cohen. November 14, 2021. Thriving in Turbulent Times. I want to welcome you to the First Words podcast. This is Dale Cohen, Senior Pastor at First United Methodist Church in Florence, and today we're talking about thriving and turbulent times. I want to read to you from Mark's Gospel, the 13th chapter. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jumping out of a hovering helicopter is the easy part. Once you rappel down a rope to the ground, you and the other five soldiers with you are many miles from civilization, each equipped with only a knife, a compass, a sleeping bag, and a canteen. There's no tent, despite snow in the forecast, and no food. Your last meal was a day ago, and you have no idea how long you'll be out there. It's pitch dark and you've got no flashlight or night vision goggles. To top it off, hostile enemies are roaming the countryside looking for you. Your mission has just one goal. Don't get caught. This mission is not part of a reality show with a million-dollar prize at the end. This scenario is part of the Seer School Level C where SEER stands for Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. It's the final stage of training for candidates attempting to earn the Green Beret of the elite U.S. Army Special Forces. The only reward is the satisfaction of knowing you've got what it takes to be one of the toughest, most intelligent, best-trained soldiers in an elite fighting force, always at the ready to serve the cause of freedom throughout the world. Mark 13, what I read for you just a moment ago, reads like a seer training manual for saints, with Jesus offering insights about the struggles ahead for his followers. Soon they would be dropped into a dark and dangerous world, deep in mistrust and confusion. They'd experience ridicule, persecution, conflict, and betrayal. They'd be arrested and tossed into prison. Jesus was preparing them for the tough times that lay ahead. Some people see Mark 13 as prophecies about the end of the world, but the threat was more immediate. This passage refers to the dangers of the Jewish-Roman War fought from 67 to 70 CE. The Romans, who occupied Israel, ruled with an iron fist, arresting and executing people at will. For fear of getting caught, The disciples lived as fugitives as they took the gospel into the world. The world was indeed a dangerous place for anyone who followed Christ. So Jesus had a disturbing lesson for his disciples. They were outside the temple. They'd been sitting around observing religious life in their day. One of the disciples, unnamed, commented on the architecture of the temple. He said, look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. The ancient historian Josephus reported that the stones of the temple were 37 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet deep. Some weighed even as much as 300 tons. Then Jesus says something remarkable. Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. The disciples were speechless. Jesus predicted the destruction of something the Jewish people longed to build for so long. King David dreamed of building the temple, but his son Solomon got the honor after his death. Many people died during its construction, The temple was more than just a building, it was where God lived, and it represented everything about life as a Jew. People thought it was indestructible. So in stunned silence, the disciples walked about 30 to 45 minutes to get to the Mount of Olives, and from there they could see the city of Jerusalem with the temple perched high on a hill, and they wondered about Jesus' prediction. Mark's gospel reads, When Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? The disciples' world was turned upside down by this news that Jesus delivered because their entire lives centered on the presence of the temple. And if it were going to be destroyed, if Jesus were right, the centerpiece of Jewish life would soon be erased. Jesus was predicting the future of religion. For centuries, religious leaders kept God in a secure location. First, God was in the Ark of the Covenant carried throughout the wilderness, but then when the temple was finally built in Jerusalem, people assumed it was God's container, so they could find him at the temple whenever they needed him. Rabbi Irving Greenberg described it this way, The temple was central to Jewish religious life in a way that is hard for us to imagine today. Many Jews believed that sin itself could be overcome only by bringing a sin offering in the temple. Without such forgiveness, the sinner was condemned to alienation from God, which is equivalent to estrangement from valid existence. But with the destruction of the temple, the channel of sacrifice was now cut off. Jesus came to show us that the containers that we keep trying to put God in are artificial. Jesus' ministry unleashed the power of God's grace from the constraints of the temple and moved God's love out into the world where it's available to everyone, not just to the insiders at the temple. Only when the enormous walls of the temple come crashing down can the world experience God in his fullness. Of course, this is all symbolic, but our symbols have powerful meanings that bind us as much as barriers or chains. In talking about the destruction of the temple, Jesus, we could say, was talking about deconstructing a way of life the pious and righteous religious elite had built for themselves. It was a hierarchy that gave them all the advantages, even at the expense of the poor and the powerless. Jesus knew that those walls of selfishness, those structures of abusive power and those hierarchies of favoritism were going to be the very weapons that would bring down the walls of the temple. Now, there's also danger in deconstruction. When we take God out of the confines of the temple, at least where we conveniently control him, making him in our image, when we remove him, we open ourselves to the possibility of not distinguishing the one true God from all the lesser gods that demand our worship. Without the institutional boundaries of the temple, some scoundrels with their spectacular hoaxes will show up, offering an attractive way that is no better than the temple system. The disciples could fall prey to a host of counterfeit spiritualities. It was true in Jesus' day, and it's true in our day as well. So Mark continues, Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. The Apostle Paul also found himself living in frenetically spiritual times. Recall that he began his sermon on Mars Hill with these words, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription, To an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Idol worship tricked the Athenians, and they were fervently committed to these inanimate objects. But they were wrong. They were investing their lives in a spirituality that was nothing more than a metal statue. They addressed their hopes and prayers to false gods and faulty visions. Likewise, in times of high stress and anxiety, we too must be careful about where we place our trust. Jesus said, When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Jesus cautions his disciples against falling prey to the hysteria of those religious pretenders who will try to sway them from the truth. He warns them to keep their wits about them, refusing to stamp every crazy leader, every tragic war, or every natural disaster with the label of the end times or the Messiah. In other words, don't let your spiritual hunger drive you to believe everything you hear. So, how do we address the hunger within us, especially in times of complexity and uncertainty as we currently find ourselves? We can apply a simple test to help us determine if we're experiencing God's truth or some false notion of spirituality. For instance, beware of any spirituality that only makes you feel good or it only makes you feel bad. Beware of any spirituality that causes you to be judgmental toward others and be careful of any religion that doesn't challenge you to change your thoughts and behaviors in uncomfortable ways. But you can hold tightly to any spirituality that uses the Bible as the source of truth and allows the application of tradition, experience, and reason as additional tools of authentication. You can hold tightly to any spirituality that emphasizes a personal relationship with the loving God through worship, prayer, study, and community. You can hold tightly to any spirituality that challenges you to live in community with other believers where you're held accountable to the truth and to love. And you can also hold tightly to any spirituality that accepts the reality of the present while rooted in hope for the future. If you can apply these tests to your faith when you're in a turbulent time, you can find a faith that helps you thrive. Now while all these principles are essential, I think the last one that I shared with you is vital about accepting the reality of the present while being rooted in hope for the future. Our faith cannot serve as an escape from the difficult circumstances we face in life. Our faith is a resource to help us endure. A portion of the SEER military training is what to do if you're captured, Often, how soldiers respond to the crisis of becoming a prisoner of war determines their emotional well-being during and after. Much of their training in this area grew from the experience of one man, Admiral Jim Stockdale. Stockdale was the highest-ranking U.S. military officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp during the height of the Vietnam War. He was brutally tortured over 20 times during his eight-year imprisonment. Stockdale endured the war without any prisoners' rights, with no set release date, and no certainty as to whether he would even survive to see his family again. When he was asked how he survived, he said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. When he asked who the prisoners were who didn't make it out, this was his response. The optimists. They were the ones who said, We're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come, and Christmas would go. Then they'd say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again, and they died of a broken heart. And then he said this, this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Stockdale would often tell the optimists, we're not getting out by Christmas, deal with it. Now, I know it sounds harsh, and indeed it is. However, there's truth in Stockdale's harshness that can help us thrive in even the most difficult times. Instead of trying to run away from our difficulties, we must stay in the moment, stay with the pain, and trust that God is already working to redeem the brokenness and the hurt in our lives. Believing that God can redeem anything, we can look for how God works even amid our troubles for our ultimate good. The Apostle Paul argued this when he said, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Now, don't misunderstand, not everything that happens to us is good. But whatever happens to us, God can use it to bring about something even better for us. My friend Pat Luna always says, Growth is in the struggle. We are facing challenges in our world, our nation, our community. Our church, and even our families that may feel overwhelming. We may be frightened, unsure, worried, confused, angry, frustrated, sad, or anxious. We may even feel like we're groping around in the dark for solutions, reaching blindly for anything that gives us immediate relief. Let's avoid the temptation to grasp at whatever solution comes along that seems the easiest or the quickest. Instead, Let's sit patiently and listen for God's voice to provide direction. Jesus reminds us that he is with us no matter what, and that is enough for us to thrive in even the most turbulent times. He said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Trust in the goodness of God in the turbulent times and you'll thrive no matter the circumstances. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for joining us for this edition of First Words and we look forward to being with you again next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to First Words. For information about our services or how to get involved in the community, visit us at fumcflorence.org and on facebook.com/florencefumc.